Welcome to the Between the Dream podcast. I'm your host, Richard Taylor Jr. Today is Friday, September 20th, 2019. Hope that you all are doing well. Hope that you've had a great, great week, and I hope that you all are being productive in all that you are doing. Listen, if you are new to the podcast, thank you so much for tuning in. I ask that you go ahead and subscribe on whatever platform you're listening on. And also make sure you're sharing it with your friends too. If you are returning, thank you so much for your continued support. It means the world to me, to our sponsors, our donors. Thank you all so much as well for your continued support in the Between the Dream podcast. Listen, as we are in the month of September, you will know that this is Suicide Prevention Awareness Month. Um, and we are doing so much, um, not only here on the podcast, but just in the day-to-day work and being able to educate people, to help people, to inform them, and then obviously to reach those who are in the trenches. Today, I am not by myself. Once again, we had her on the show last week. We've got our therapist friend, Trish Wyatt, here with us on the podcast again, my sister out of Detroit. And before I actually bring her on, I want to let you all know that Trish Wyatt has actually just been nominated by Scene Magazine for their 2019 Changemaker Award, and voting is now open. I'm going to let Trish tell you more about it as I segue her in right now. Trish, welcome to the podcast. Hi, how are you? I'm good. It's good to have you on. Thank you. Thank you. I'm excited. I'm, I'm really excited about today's topic, so this is going to be a good one. Absolutely. It definitely is. But before we get into that topic, let us know about this nomination and how we, the listeners, can help in this as you have been doing great change making Um, work around the conversation of mental health and in the work in the field as well. Thank you. So they can go to scene magazine. You will see an icon that says nominate your favorite change maker. Click on it opens up. Um, My category is under education. Once you open that, it kind of gives you all the instructions. You'll highlight my area and then you just submit your vote and you can vote once a day Voting ends Monday, this Monday, the 23rd. So tell everyone and they can vote. Thank you. Boom. There we go. <laughs> you got it, Trish. I love Thank it. Thank you. I love it. So make sure you all go check it. Is it scenemagazine.com? Is it a website? It's, yeah. It's, you, when you click, when you go to Scene Magazine, it will pop right up. Yep. It will pop right gotcha. up. Gotcha. Okay. It's an online, Sweet. It's an online well, magazine. Love mm-hmm. it. All right. Well, let's make sure that we go out and push those votes for the weekend as we are blessed to have this change maker here with us today on the podcast. Trish, I just want to say thank you for last week. We got so many uh, folks that commented back and just said that they loved having you on there and that they were really excited about what you brought to the conversation as we talked about leaders and obviously the high-functioning lifestyles and suicide that comes with it. So thank you, and I'm definitely happy to have you back on here this week as well. And with that being said, we're going to jump into today's conversation. So good listeners, today we are talking about what people can do when dealing with a loved one with mental illness, maybe it's a spouse, a sibling, your child, a relative, your parents, um, whatever the case might be, how can you help? What can you do? Um, and, and, and in those areas, how can you also take care of yourself while yes. trying to take care of somebody else? And so obviously, Trish, this is one that is so important because when we look at what's going on in today's society and the world around us, we see now so many people struggling personally when it comes to their own mental and emotional health issues. But one of the things that I think um, needs a little bit more light on it is the individual who has to um, be the support system, right? And to be the person that helps around this. Yes, definitely. And so, 
And so with that being the case, I know you and I kind of talked about this prior to getting on here, but I definitely want to just kind of break this down from piece by piece because it can be broad to just talk about how to help people, right? Would you, yes. would you say that it is safe to actually go, maybe in the conversation, we move from child to parent to spouse to colleague or friend that way? Because, I mean, I think everybody kind of needs something different, would you say? I would agree. Um, it depends on that relationship. I would say also where they're at with that challenge in their mental health. But yes, every relationship probably will look a little bit different as far as how you can help them. I would agree. Absolutely. And I think with that being the case, let's go ahead because we might have listeners who come from a few different backgrounds when it comes to who they have that's struggling around them, right? Yes. And so I know when I originally brought this to you, I was saying, hey, I think it would be great if we could do something for uh, parents when it comes to their children who are dealing with yes. mental health issues and that are on the verge of uh, like maybe the suicide ideations, maybe they are suicidal, right? Um, that is one of the big things that I've gotten all summer has been the students who are just in a rut, who mm. are going through. And, and I think that is, that's where this conversation as a whole was inspired from. Yes. But um, if we can, can we break it down from there and then we'll move and segue into maybe a sibling, spouse, sure. and so forth. So as we talk about the parents, right? Because obviously when we talk about the conversation of mental health, there are so many different struggles and issues. But when it comes to that buildup, right? Obviously with this being suicide, Prevention Awareness Month, the things that can build up mm -hmm. to an unforeseen suicide attempt. Um, how, how do we help parents in this regard? Well, th this is number one, a great question, because I think it's something that we really need to discuss so that people do know what to look for what to do, what level of mental health is this person, their child, really struggling with? Because understand, like you said, there are different levels. Um, and when we get mm -hmm. into the area where we're talking about suicidal ideation, going past that and there's a suicidal plan, we really have to be proactive. Mm -hmm. People can't be proactive, though, if they don't know what that even looks like. And exactly. so we have to start talking about that. So what can be really difficult in a situation like this? And by difficult, I don't mean you can't figure it out, but it can be challenging. Most people who are in a state where they feel suicidal, right? They're not normally mm -hmm. going to people and saying, hey, I feel suicidal. Right. Hey, I feel like I might take my life today. That's not typically what happens. For mm -hmm. most instances. And so as a parent, you have to be aware of some noticeable changes that might be happening so that you are presenting this conversation to that child. Because most times right. I have to tell you, the child is not going to a parent saying that. Most times. That's real. Yeah. So if I had to talk to a parent and obviously I talk to them when they, they do bring their children in because I do work with adolescents. Some of the things, if I had to share with the listeners that are really common as far as what parents are saying by the time they make it to the office, right? They're mm -hmm. noticing significant changes in mood. And, and when I say that, their kid may become really isolated. 
Um, they come home, they're going straight to their room. They're not engaging with peers anymore. Um, they often have really extreme appetite changes. Either maybe they're not eating at all, they're, they're overeating. Um, their mood seems off. Um, that's a right. lot of times what people say, their mood just really started to seem off. What does off mean? That can look different for everyone, but a lot of times if you know your child, you know what off will look like for them, right? You'll know mm -hmm. what's not the same. If they start saying things like they, you know, just are not enjoying the day, they just rather would not have to go through their day. They'd rather not be here. So that in a way is kind of code word for, I kind of feel like I don't want to live anymore. They're using terms that just kind of separate themselves from their existence, from society, from their peers, and they're just not enjoying the things that they might normally enjoy. You want to start becoming alert when you see changes like that. Yeah, that's really good. So obviously making sure that we are intentional on paying attention Definitely. with our kids because I think I think sometimes parents have that tendency to just be like oh this is just them being a kid mm -hmm. and sometimes it kind of goes by the wayside and then later on we see that creep up of oh I never saw any of the warning mm -hmm. signs right and so maybe it's us as adults as parents in those moments to be able to look past our own thought process thing and but I I'm thinking of something kind of that I dealt with really recently in practice. And it, it's give, I think this would give a really good example to what both of us are saying. Um, the person was, the parent did bring this child in um, and they brought them in because they were grieving about a loss and, and really, you know, had become isolated and sad in that initial few moments, the parent, though never mentioned any anything that was related to them wanting to harm themselves. When I spoke mm -hmm. with the, the adolescent alone, it was almost the first thing that they said. So there's, a, there's oh, wow. a significant difference there. The parent is saying they're grieving. They're grieving. Can you can you help us? It was a different level from just grieving. Their grief had kind of gotten them to a space where they no longer wanted to exist. I can tell you wow. when I brought the parent back in and said, you know, we're, we're dealing with something a little bit more serious than I think you're aware of, completely shocked. And hmm. I guess people would say, well, how could someone be that shocked? Well, because you're thinking there's grief happening and there's this sadness. And so it makes sense that their child maybe doesn't want to engage or is kind of in their room more. But we don't know to say what else is going on. We don't know mm -hmm. that all the time. And so what would have been, I guess, a session where I would have been dealing with, you know, what would be referenced as kind of complicated grief, which is really another level of grief, quickly mm -hmm. propelled into discussion about this person wanting to harm themselves immediately. Wow. And I bring that example because there were signs, but they were misinterpreted for something else because there weren't questions asked beyond I understand that you're sad about this loss and so right. yes as parents we have to really press our children because just naturally they're not going to really give a lot of information that's what most things with adolescents and so we mm -hmm. have to say 
I need to know where are you at mentally? Are you thinking about harming yourself? Do you feel like it's hard for you to live today? And right. if they're if they're not giving you definite no <laughs> to that, you have to keep asking and you need to you need to really get to where they're at emotionally. Absolutely. That's so good. Yeah. So I think, you know, being being beyond the the norm, yes. obviously, has 100%. to be a and, and parents shouldn't feel um parents shouldn't feel bad about asking the hard questions. No. because um, I think sometimes we do have that. Like you could be a parent, yes. you could be bold in any other area, but parents I mean, it, it it's a struggle to add certain things when it comes to your kids. It is. And I think if we're talking about just narrowing it down, let's say adolescents. Adolescents mm-hmm. are a very complicated group. <laughs> oh yeah. Oh absolutely. Yeah, they are. Um, for numerous reasons and most of them def, you know, are out of their control. It's it's a tricky time even without a mental health episode or challenge. It's tricky just the adolescence part of life. And mm-hmm. so you have to kind of intervene and, and go beyond, like you said, the norm and really sit with them and say, we need to talk about how you're feeling and I need to know how bad it is. A lot of times mm-hmm. when, when people are in that space, no, they don't typically seek someone to share it with, but I will tell you this, when someone comes to them, they will engage and they will typically answer that question truthfully right but they have to have the person ask them right no that is so good yeah that is so good and so this is these these are some of the ways that we can definitely help if you um aren't catching in to it or if you are just kind of maybe scrubbing through and finding this part here we're talking about some of the ways parents can be able to help their adolescents their children um when the the conversation comes up about self-harm suicide and even depression yes um and trish i want to back i want to backtrack real quick before we move into the next space with this i think that is a one of the the ones that's important so i've actually been self-caring this week so i haven't posted much on social media just because i got sick towards the end of my uh week-long trip last week and um i have been chilling but (laughs) the one video that i did post from one of my speeches from last week i actually addressed the parents in the room and in this, it was kind of talking about how in the black culture, um, you know, one of the things that you would hear growing up uh, that parents would say to kids is you're too young to be sad or depressed. You got everything you need. Yes. You don't you don't need to be sad or depressed about anything. And I made the point to talk about, you know, parents, depression does not work like that. Right. No. And in and, and the lead up uh, to what could potentially become greater I- illnesses and issues. It does not work like that, right? And so just addressing that, can you dive into that for me a little bit from your experience, obviously working with parents and being an individual who has had to live through your own issues? Yes. Um, just, just just break that down. And I, I, know you, I know you bring such a valuable experience in this space. Well, I would say if I, even if I just compared from some years ago to present day, as far as what I'm treating um, adolescents for. Number one, I would say, um, and and I I really would bet that a lot of my colleagues would support this. 
we've seen an enormous spike in adolescent anxiety. Mm-hmm. Anxiety is tricky because a lot of times depression will come with anxiety. And so now you're seeing adolescents dealing with two things, anxiety and depression, and to a level where it didn't quite exist the way it does today. Mm-hmm. From what I can tell based on when they come in and the things I'm hearing, I really do believe, you know, there are a lot of environmental factors, social media, things like that. I always joke and say, I feel so old when I say, you know, social media, reality TV, things like that have really impacted our adolescents' mental health. But it has. Mm-hmm. It's just a reality. Yeah. It really has. So the way I typically explain it to parents is the things that maybe their generation had to take in are a lot different than what their children are taking in on a day-to-day basis. What bullying looks like today is not what bullying looked like when their parents were kids. Bullying then, you know, was a little bit more playful, not always as severe as it is today. And so they're... Go ahead, sorry. No, I was going to say that's so true. Keep you okay. good. Go ahead. So they're taking in a lot more environmentally, typically, than their parents did. And so a lot of times when the parents come in, they say they'll say things that are very normal as I don't I don't understand. You know, when I was a kid, we we blew that off or that didn't bother us. And. I explain to them, I say, well, the things that we take in, we're all kind of taken in a lot of the same things now as far as social media, the things we see on TV, what's being normalized. But as an adult, we're able to filter in a way that younger people cannot do. And so you have mm-hmm. an adult brain and an adolescent brain taking in the same messages, the same environmental yep. stimuli. One of these groups can't filter the way the other can. And so if you in general terms, these are general terms. So the adolescent, the adult group is able to maybe not internalize some of these things, you know, kind of understand, you know, oh, that's just for fun or, you know, that's not as big of a deal. But for an adolescent, it's a completely different game. They're internalizing to a level that maybe most adults are not doing. And so then that is leading them to feel things heavier, to see things bigger, to be impacted a little bit longer, to not understand why they feel the way they do. And Mm -hmm. so it's important for parents to kind of step back sometimes and say, maybe I don't get it, but I'm going to start understanding it. Because the more they can understand the greater they can increase their support. They're not gonna That's they're real. not gonna understand everything in their adolescence world. I have an adolescent and even I can't understand everything <laughs> and I do this. So Right. <laughs> so it's it's not always you don't have to know everything and every feeling, but you have to be so present now and so much more engaged, maybe than even back in the day. Because look at how many more things are happening versus then. And so if I had to, I guess, give any advice to parents of adolescents, current year, current time adolescents, be so engaged that it would be impossible for something to get by you. Bottom line. Mm -hmm. Right. That's so good. No, I think that's so important. 
Um, oh God, you you just hit so much on there. So I had a thought, okay. and I really wanted to just kind of present this in the conversation. Sure. Um, you said something to the degree of how it was shrugged off when parents were younger, yes. right? When they were kids. And, and, and you're right, it was shrugged off. And, and maybe this is just me in theory in part, but I personally, from what I've seen, it almost feels like for the stuff that was shrugged off for parents and people who tend to just normally function under that light of shrugging it mm-hmm. off, even though they don't necessarily recognize it, when I hear the people that usually are the ones that say that, they seem to have a lot of internal issues in the present day as adults. Right. This is just, it, it, and, 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 and I'm, I'm thinking to myself, like, it was shrugged off, but it wasn't dealt with. It wasn't addressed. And like you said, it wasn't internalized. And so I think that that is important in this conversation when we talk about, like, because it's easy for a parent to say, well, I dealt with it and I came out and I turned out perfectly fine. But it's like, no, in hindsight, you really didn't. Right. And so right. I don't know. I just I think to that, like you, you, you brought that up and that's what it made me think of, because I hear that a lot of times when I'm in these sessions and just talking to parents one on one or students later on. And I'm like, man, like I know that in our adult world, in our adult life. And our adult way of thinking, we think that we've got it together more than we really do, but we don't. Right. <laughs> yeah. And that can be dangerous. It, that can be very dangerous. It can be. And, you know, if I, I think examples are great. Um, and I'm thinking of one now where um, I, I was working with an adolescent and school was very anxiety provoking for this particular patient very much so Mm -hmm. um elementary through middle school did really well had good grades um something about the shift to high school became really challenging okay to the point where anxious behaviors were really um revving up um and so it was a challenge for the parent to be able to understand why And what you said was really an accurate statement. The parent would say, I went through high school. These are all the things that I dealt with. Why is it so hard now? Why is it difficult to sit in school? Why why is that producing anxiety? Yeah, and I think that, I don't know, just just the lack of understanding. Now that didn't exist then. And so it's important for the parent to be able to say, it is different now. It is, there are challenges that didn't exist when I was in school. And let me understand why it's anxiety provoking for them. And at the end, we did determine that online was a better setting. I can tell you they're doing well. Anxiety has almost been completely eliminated because that environmental trigger has been removed for them. Nice. Okay. And that's important to know, too, because I think sometimes parents might feel like, oh, well, you don't you shouldn't need a change of environment in order to do this. But I guess once again, just kind of going with that notion of it doesn't work like that. Right. Like just because we think it should look one day one way doesn't mean it always will. It won't always look the same way. Um, And that's even for, you know, between different people, you know, it's going to look a little different. Um, it's just about kind of recognizing 
what the need is and where that challenge is. And if it can be reversed or fixed, or we maybe we do have to look at their education differently. And online is a better mm-hmm. setting because it does reduce the anxiety. And so emotionally and mentally, they feel more stable. And so they're better able to perform. That's what we want. Right. We want them to feel well. We want every parent wants their child to feel happy and whole and not anxious or sad or the next level depressed and the next level past right. that suicidal or wanting to harm themselves. Right. That's, I mean, that's so real true. And I'm glad that you pointed that out. I know that this is kind of like off topic from where we were going, but I think it's important for us not to put our ramifications and our dealings on our children, expecting them to be able to do the same thing or expecting them to function like how we did. Well, I definitely think we have to change that expectation. And a lot of times, if you think about it, if we do compare it, it's not that years ago, no one dealt with any of these things, the anxiety or Mm -hmm. the depression. I'd say we just kind of weren't allowed to talk about it as much. Exactly, exactly. And so now generationally, you know, I know a lot of times people talk about the millennials and Gen Z being the therapy generation. But I mean, hey, like, I think that's the, the difference is the fact that we we didn't talk about it then, but now we can and we should. Right. And now we're in a position where we have to talk about it because yeah. it's happening more and the consequences are obviously much more severe than maybe they were in the past. Mm-hmm. And so it's it's imperative present day that we're addressing what is really happening in the world of our young people because so much is happening that they have very little answers for and so Mm -hmm. they try to figure those answers out and not always in the best way and that's not what we want exactly definitely not what we want thank you for that trish hey let's go ahead and move it on over now to the conversation with um spouses or people in relationships like serious relationships and we talk about being able to help them what do you have for us when it comes to what people can do when dealing with a loved one uh in the form of a spouse or um a boyfriend or girlfriend that is that is in a, a heavy struggle like this this so this great question because spousal intimate relationships when we're talking about mental health can obviously be challenging right and put a different Mm -hmm. level of stress on that relationship there's a few reasons the other partner may not fully understand what it feels like for that person in their mental health struggle and that's fair if they've never dealt with it if they're not familiar with it it's fair that they don't understand it that that's not so much a negative per se because they don't know the challenge is helping them start to understand it so that they can know what they can do. I don't think anyone wants to leave their spouse because of these challenges, but they need to know how to be with them through it so that it doesn't destroy their relationship because it, right. it obviously has the potential to do that. And most often, if someone comes in as an individual and they're saying, you know, their partner, their spouse is really being impacted by their mental health. 
most therapists are will say at that point, you know, let's get them in and have a session together so that we can help them mm-hmm. understand what life is like for you so that they maybe can be more supportive. They don't understand what you're challenged with each day. And right. so support becomes imperative for that person. Very important that their partner understands what their world looks like for them when they're struggling with their mental health. Because right. a person struggling with their mental health, their world looks a lot different than someone who's not struggling. Their world is kind of flipped upside down. And how do you engage intimately or anything with that partner when everything about your world is completely abnormal in this mm. moment? And so a lot of times we're giving those people, number one, knowledge so that they mm-hmm. do understand what their partner's life is like, because this may not be the partner that they started with. And so they don't understand who they are in this moment, because like you and I know, when you are struggling with your mental health, you're not the same person as you normally are. You are different. Right. You're, you're very different during that time. And so a lot of times, and this is fair, their partner is frustrated or kind of let down a little bit because this is not who they know. And we're really trying to help them understand the person you love is still in there. We just have to get them back out. We just have to find them again. But you have to help them do that. And so you can't attack them. You have to support them. A lot of times I know, you know, really with anxiety, especially, that's a really hard one for partners to understand. And often they'll say, you're okay. Well, why are you getting worked up or things like that? Because they don't know what it's like. That's never helpful. But once they come in and we start to talk to them and help them learn about what depression or anxiety or whatever this other challenge is, it opens up their mind. And so they're able to be more present for that person. They're Mm -hmm. able to understand, okay, they're not mad at me in this moment. They're just having whatever they're dealing with. Right, right. And so a lot of times we give them different tools and different strategies and encourage them to be really engaged, whether that's um, weekly, we want them, you know, spending a certain amount of time together, doing things throughout the week where they're back connected because that's really what the partner needs in that moment, not for the person to separate from them or disengage from them. That's really the opposite of what's going to be helpful. That's good. Mm -hmm. That's really good. Thank you for that, Trish. I think that that's really important too. Like you said, um, being able to just, it's easy for us to, um, to feel obviously that we're being attacked in those moments, right? Like, You've got it out for me. And I think, you know, one of the things that I've always encouraged people to do in these spaces when they have a a partner that is struggling and struggling severely or just even in the least bit is being mindful of showing grace. Right. And 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 patience because of the fact that it's very easy for our emotions to get caught up in it. And next thing you know, we're having an argument or we're having something going on that that's unnecessary. Yes. When it when it comes to the, the fact that while the the words of or the cry for help came out through um, the cry for help came out through words of hurt. 
Yes. But it still doesn't change the fact that it's what? A cry for help. <laughs> you right. know what I mean? Or that cry for help came out through words of anger or yeah. rage. Because understand with depression, it presents very differently for everybody. Yes. Some Each people yeah, some people, their depression presents, they're very angry. They have a lot of rage. Some people become very sad. So you're right. Those words that are coming out sometimes may not come out in the right way. But really, at the end of it, you're right. It's a cry for help. Mm-hmm. The message may not have been expressed you know, the best way that it could have, but it's coming from the, a place of emotion and it's, you can't, you can't control that sometimes in those instances. That's very true. Mm-hmm. That's very true. Well, thank you for that, Trish. I know we're going to keep on moving. Um, and, and I definitely, um, if you got any other questions, uh, I would just put this out there to just encourage you all to make sure that you send them to us here on Anchor. Trish, while we're uh, in this space right now, just let the people know that where they can follow you on the social media if they've got questions for you or they want to continue the conversation um instagram is t wellness underscore or definitely you can email me directly at t wellness 333 at gmail.com either one is perfect all right sweet all right there we go so thank you for that we're going to go ahead and jump back into the conversation we've got uh, a few more to cover here um and and we'll just we'll we'll do friends and siblings together um, and that'll be the last one. But for folks who have parents that are are are, are having mental and emotional illnesses or issues, um, I think that this one is important, right? Because we yeah. talk about the the child and their problems, but I mean, hey, that that does not make parents exempt. No, that definitely doesn't make parents exempt, especially depending on what their environmental stressors are. Now. I would say as far as the child going to the parent, that can be challenging with mm-hmm. the child, you know, addressing the parent's emotional and, and needs. Trish, I'm sorry. I'm sorry. And, and when, when I say this too, I don't want to say child just from a standpoint of adolescence, right? I'm, I'm even talking about those adults okay. who, you know, who have parents that struggle as well. Okay. Okay. Perfect. So I, I would kind of suggest the same things that we talked about earlier as far as sitting down with them and saying just really simple statements like I feel like something is different about you I'm worried Mm -hmm. about you I'm concerned I'm asking you to share with me where you're at presently I'm asking you to let me help if help is needed in this moment and so in that moment when the parent right is feeling Mm -hmm. that way they're probably thinking the same thing. Who, who do I reach out to and say, this is what's going on? Who, do I tell my spouse? Do I tell a friend? Do I, do I tell my kids? And so whoever is coming to them needs to be very direct and say, I need you to tell me what you're feeling because I can see something is different with you. Mm. Even if you say, I refuse to leave until you tell me how you're feeling. And I need to know that you're giving me a truthful answer. And if you don't believe that answer is truthful, then you have to keep asking it. And that might mean asking it for two, three, four, five days in a row until you feel that you've gotten the answer that is truthful. Because they may not originally just say, yep, not feeling good. 
feel like I want to hurt myself. I'm depressed. It may take multiple attempts. What happens though, a lot of times is people kind of take that first answer, even if they don't feel confident about it and say, why well, ask them? They said they were okay. But we mm. know when our loved ones are not okay. We know. Yeah. This. And so if someone's telling you something that you know doesn't match what you're visually seeing, you have to be persistent with that questioning. That's good. Until they say to you what you know to be true, I'm not well. People will live in denial. They will definitely, definitely. live in denial, right? Yeah. Oh, definitely. <laughs> definitely. It and then make you feel bad about the fact that they're living in denial by making you feel like you're crazy for asking. Right. Oh, yeah. I mean, mental health is definitely one of the things that we work really hard to cover up, you know, mm. for, for multiple reasons. Everyone's reasons are different, but it is the area that we don't want people to know we're suffering from or that we're struggling. And so it's much easier to say to someone, I don't know what you're seeing. I feel fine. <laughs> I, I'm OK. Right. That's an easier answer than saying oh my gosh, I'm, I'm struggling. I'm hurting. I've never felt this way. I don't know what's wrong. I've had thoughts of wanting to harm myself. People have a hard time saying that. Even though they feel that way, it's hard to answer that way. Mm. And so as far as the role of the loved one, it's to be persistent until you get the answer that's going to lead them to getting the help that you can see they need. That's good. That's good. I like that. Thank you so much for that, Trish. And then as we as we get ready to close this thing one out, I definitely want to dive into the conversation real quick for those who might be wondering, like, yo, how can I help a friend or mm -hmm. how can I help a sibling? Right. And, and, and just to point this out real quick, too, these are all focused around relationships. At the end of the yes. day, it might wear a different title, but a lot of this is just focused around relationships as a whole in in different forms. Agreed. And so with that being the case, um, I think it's important for everybody to know, right, even if it's not something that you see right now, but hey, you know what, we talk about being proactive rather than reactive. So this is helpful when it comes to the know of, you know, God forbid you found out in the future. Definitely. I agree. And so as an overall statement, as far as whatever that relationship is to you, if there's someone that's a loved one, if I had to encourage any behavior in that moment, it's to be so proactive that you don't even allow that person the option to not get better. Mm -hmm. You have to be so forceful during that time that they understand help is the only option you're providing them. Mm -hmm. That's it. Until they're able to do that, you have to stay on that course with them that you're not leaving, you're not going anywhere, you're there until they get well, mm. whatever that relationship is. Friends, sibling, child, parent, whatever their challenge is at the end of the day, they're, they're hurting and we don't want them to be hurting to such a space where they feel they no longer can take it and that they no longer want to live. That's what we want to avoid every time. Mm -hmm. That's good to know. That's really good to know. Um, I think that that's important to just as we move forward in this conversation, because we talk about all of these things, what we're trying to do, guys, is just to make sure that we're helping in 
being able to, I guess you could say, interrupt the buildup that can lead to further issues that yeah. can, that that can put us in a potential. I never saw this coming when we talk about having to talk about people in their attempts attempts of suicide or taking their own life. Um, and these are all just things that we can do now in the now to be able to be proactive for those that we love and those that we care about. It is. I agree. Definitely. Trish, thank you so much for all that you have poured out today. We, we're going to have to start calling this our Ask the Therapist uh, segment because <laughs> <laughs> you're really I, I, putting it out there. <laughs> well, thank you for having me. I'm just hopeful that someone listening, there's some part in what we talked about today that helps them prevent their loved one from doing something that would be permanent. That's Absolutely. always the goal that we want to avoid is to help teach people for themselves and others how to be well, because it is possible. It's possible. No, it really is. And I'm glad it that is. you mentioned that. Trish, real quick, where can the people find you? Instagram, twellness underscore, or email me directly, twellness333 at gmail.com. Boom, there you go. And of course, you can follow me on Instagram, Jr. Facebook, Richard L. Taylor Jr. And if you just so happen to be on Twitter, which I rarely use, it's at Truly Taylor Made. <laughs> Listen, until next week, guys, you're not losing in life, you're not failing, you're simply between the dream. Do not forget that this month of September is National Suicide Prevention Awareness Month. And we're doing all we can to play our part to educate, to help inform, and of course, be present for those around us, whether we know them or not. Love you guys. Hope you all have a phenomenal weekend.